Who doesn't love a good stick figure drawing? But they don't exactly shout, I'm a professional therapist, do they? See what professional exercise prescription software looks like with a three-month free trial on us. Discover how easy it is to fully customise patients' rehabilitation plans whilst choosing from hundreds of exercise pictures and videos, each with modifiable descriptions. You can even send them out by email or WhatsApp. Plus, you get inbuilt virtual consultation software as standard. Claim your free trial now at rehabmypatient.com forward slash physiomatters. Thanks a lot for you, for your time, Debs. And, and, and I don't know. You then didn't hear me at the start saying about how well. Whilst you might disown the title, you um, are pretty much the physio matters hand specialist. You've kind of become our go-to person. And I, I, I said as well when we were thinking about the program over this twenty-four hours, is that before cast that you did, I think that it was something that our whole MSK network really avoided and, and was trying to disown the hands as much as possible to OTs and to others and just sometimes just downright neglecting it, trying to refer it on, not really giving it a go. And so you've really opened up people's eyes to the fact that some of the principles that we stand by everywhere else in the body apply very well to the hands and that some specialist knowledge that can be imparted can make generalists far better. So firstly, thanks for doing that. But do you see that as being a fair reflection of, of your take on it, that really that you know, generalists can do better with hands by applying good principles. Absolutely. And I think that um, as physiotherapists, we are now getting better at applying those principles. But I think it's still quite poor, um, to be brutally mm. honest. I still think mm. that um, people will look at range and go, oh, they can make a fist and they can bend their wrist, they're fine to go, and not look <laughs> at you know, strength, proprioception. Yeah. Uh, stereognosis you know all that stuff mm. they just think oh they've had a collis fracture look they can make a fist they seem to have fairly decent range of movement off you go um, in a way that perhaps physios wouldn't do for kind of hips and knees they don't really take people through their paces in in the same way I don't think and I think that actually gives those patients a pretty poor poor um uh show really to be honest but mm. i'm not saying everyone's like that i just think it's still a bit of an issue no i would i would agree with that definitely it's not as if um it's not as if the pendulum has swung too far in the other direction and everyone's actually been really uh, thoughtful and specific where it needs to be in, in the hands but i just think that compared to i think the trajectory is probably what i would say has changed a little mm -hmm. with with yours and others work in this space is that it was almost as if inevitably bits of bits of people were being cleaved off right hands were being avoided by generalists and being put onto a long waiting list for specialists that wouldn't necessarily have done much different to what that front-end clinician could have done but having waited for three plus months that's changed the game similarly at the foot people were then thinking sod it i've got a podiatrist i know that will do this better than i mm -hmm. therefore not not trying anything and, and th mm -hmm. that's where it felt like it was going and what you've done is you've you've at least put put some brakes on that process and, and made people realize that applying some of the same principles can can make a difference what are the most common pathologies and conditions that present to to you or to msk more generally that you feel that we can get the most uh, so we say the biggest fish to fry the biggest progress we could make if we just applied uh, sensible principles to those conditions um i think probably simple wrist fractures as I say, I said, I think they're, they're, they're managed to a degree and then people are sort of sent off. And I mm. think that's probably down to um, poor, poor planning. You know, when people first come out of plaster and you're talking about, you know, where do you want to go? And, you know, what are, what's our, our plan going to be and what are our goals? I think people's goals when they first come out of plaster, are, you know, I just want to be able to, you know, wipe my own bum and, you know, eat a meal. Um, mm. and not revisit, revisiting those and going back to actually, you know, I normally play three rounds of golf a week and, you know, now I'm hooking it to the left every time or um, mm. maybe it'll have improved the game. You never know. But uh, I think <laughs> not, <laughs> well, it does seem to happen. Um, but not revisiting, revisiting that um, and just sort of being happy with it. And I think um, if people just take a little step back and maybe – even just stop treating their hand patients sitting down. That would be a really effective thing to do. Okay. You know, sitting at a table, you know, you've got your patient sitting at the table. Oh, can you do this? Can you do this? Oh, yeah, yeah, that looks great. Fantastic. You know, maybe getting to stand up and, 
you know, hold a tray and just try and extend their arm or or hold a tennis racket and extend their arm. Oh, actually, oh, look, it's tipping over because I can't actually do anything unless my elbow's on the table. So right. I think getting your hand patients standing up, getting them in the gym, just making sure that they can do what they need to do, whether they're your 90-year-old that's still just walking their dog and they just need enough strength to be able to, you know, hold the lead and get the key in the lock and that, or whether you're a, you know, county cricketer. Um, rehabbing people in sitting, not so good. I think one of the things that you've just, you've just like, you've triggered me a little bit on that, Debs, because I think that the person that walking their dog, it's like people can sometimes comprehend that being a functional need, but then they don't follow up and say, do you still throw a dog, throw a ball for your dog? Not throw your dog, sorry. Don't throw your dog for the ball. <laughs> you could throw, throw your throw dog. A, blimey, it's only like my third interview, isn't it? Um, <laughs> throwing a ball for the dog. And, and that, well, normally, yeah, but I can't do that anymore. And it's just like the, the mistake to not go far enough to realise that what is it you're going to be asking of this limb? What is being asked mm -hmm. of this person? Or do they need to bear weight through that arm? Um, or it might not now, but when they do, when they do need to push mm. themselves off a chair because they might have a contralateral ankle fracture, hopefully not, but they might do in two years' time, mm -hmm. but they then physically can't because they were never trained to. Oh. And that's the, that's the sort of thing that makes these things that mm. seem like something or nothing if you think narrow-mindedly about it, but actually can have massive mm -hmm. consequences to people's health. And it's just kind of, that, that's another thing that, again, it's, it's, it, it, minds need to expand on this, right? It's not, it's not just that. Uh, I think particularly with perhaps that cohort of people that might be a little bit older and they've fallen over, broken their wrist when they're walking said dog. Um, and then actually, when you really drill down, they're not really going out anymore because they're worried that they fall down, they'll hurt themselves again. They're, they're worried that um, their balance wasn't good enough and you've been too too narrow and just thought, okay, get the risk going. But you haven't said, you know, are you going out? What's stopping you going out? Or they might say, actually, I don't think it's a bit of my balance, but I'm not sure I'd be able to stop myself. You know, have you mm. got them doing press-ups against the wall and pushing claps? You know, it doesn't matter if you're 90 or 19, you still need to be able to stop yourself if you're, if you're falling or if someone opens the door in front of them. Um, and I think, you know, as a, our responsibility to make sure that patients don't just get back to being able to use, use just their hand and be able to go back to um, living a more fulfilled, healthy more active lifestyle I think oh, this is going to I'm going to get into such trouble for saying this but I think that perhaps hand therapists pay in general aren't quite as good as that as they should be I think physios are way better than that but I think hand therapists can be quite narrow with mm. that especially um, if you've come more from an OT angle and you're thinking really functional perhaps inside and not thinking about those bigger physical things yeah and I think as well one of the things is well, you might well, but no, this is exactly yeah. the show to get into trouble because I'll probably say something worse than that in the next five minutes. So you, you'll get some That's cover true. from me soon, which is good. But what I think is funny, understandably, I guess, from, from an OT point of view, is that they may well start to get squeamish the further up the limit goes because it starts to sometimes get a bit nitty-gritty, whereas that is one of the things that you know, physios should really have grabbed hold of, excuse the pun, is the fact that we know a lot more about the fact that we need mm -hmm. to use an explo exploit grip for pursuit and improvement of rotator cuff related activation mm -hmm. and that then similarly you know it's, it's ridiculous for those weight-bearing things you've just described or, or bracing yourself to, to a fall etc that the upper limb and that kinetic chain needs to work in sync for it to be mm. at all functional mm. and so i can i'm, I'm you know I, f I feel for them a little bit is that the way that the evidence and our understanding of applying these things has gone has meant that physios by by way of background are to some degree in better shape aren't we uh, you know on that it doesn't mean that it's an excuse to not upskill but it's just that if it had gone the other way um for some reason then uh, i imagine mm. that it could have it could have been the you know it could have been us um lacking and in some degrees we are lacking mm -hmm. some of the uh, sort of more more specific more especially when it gets to things like the nitty-gritties of dexterity or or particularly when there is um some really relevant burns or scarring and stuff i think that physios mm -hmm. are are weaker typically than our ot colleagues but um certainly mm -hmm. any any hand therapist of an ot background yeah come up the limb it's not too scary don't worry uh, and similarly i guess uh, again correct me if i'm wrong but physios then understanding and comprehending some of the effects that can occur um, more more um, the importance 
dexterity wise. I learned a lot from that from listening to Uzo talk about climbers and stuff. Lots mm-hmm. of fingery stuff there. Um, realized how poor, you know, beyond, you know, beneath competence I was on some of that uh, until I learned mm-hmm. more from from him. Um, mm-hmm. What's it? What's the what are the upsides then of working as you do with OTs and hand therapists of various different backgrounds and 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 how do you all aspire to a sensible competency level whereby you know it doesn't matter who they see they're going to get quality practice mm. and it's not necessarily highly specialized well i think most hand therapy departments now have a mixture of ot's and physios that have become hand therapists and i think you know from my own personal experience you know i work with a, an ot who's a fantastic splinter and um and she, I, I, I'm not out of turn to say, but, you know, she's not that great at maybe looking up the limb and uh, thinking about the, the shoulder and the elbow and maybe doing that more advanced exercise. And I think lots of hand therapy departments have that mixture and they tend to share their patients quite a lot. So, um, mm. you know, say, for instance, your, your radial nerve palsies, um, you know, they're they're very much a, a kind of a more OT at the beginning when you're looking at um, the splinting and outriggers and stuff. Um, but we'll perhaps share the patient. So I'll spend half half an hour with them, you know, looking at um, you know, their elbow, their shoulder, um, and then pass, pass them over to the slightly more competent splinter. I'm not saying that I can't make splints, but she's definitely a lot more competent than I am. Um, right. But but on that, I think just before the pandemic, we had um, I had reached out to Joe Gibson and to Val Jones, and we were about to launch the first um course called the rest of the upper limb for hand therapists (laughs) it was really aimed at our our OT colleagues who perhaps haven't had that opportunity or maybe don't work with a lot of physios that have have helped them gain that knowledge just so that when they say something like um uh oh well you know actually can you just tell me about my shoulder because since I've fallen you know it's a bit sore when I try and you know put my clothes on the washing line or whatever yeah so that they know you know a little bit about where to go so, I mean, there is, it is a big gap. I mean, it is something that we need we need to address. And I, I suppose at some point in the next six months, I'll go back to Joe and Val and say, you know, let's think about doing this again. But, you know, life's been a bit crazy, Definitely. hasn't it? Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, you can so understand how that's happened. But, yeah, please do to get, get back hold of that because I think that will be invaluable. And, and, and what a... Yeah, what a trio! Unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, obviously, mm. we'd be over the moon, over the moon with that. Three of our our obvious favourites, and I can so see that being really compatible because of your underlying the underlying philosophy underneath each of your care is then far more important than your subspecialties. And I think that's what's mm-hmm. interesting because there are specialists out there that, granted, aren't necessarily from. Um, I'm not even, I was going to say our school of thought, but I just mean like if I was to define what might be a physio matters way, which would be hard to, it would be just that the, the primacy of patient-centered care, that then is thoroughly holistic and that then mm-hmm. only when you get a, a bit further out from the center, do you end up with quite specific stuff on a limb by limb basis. And, and I mm-hmm. think that whereas there are others that definitely you could imagine that you, you, if you grabbed a random hand therapist, grabbed a random elbow specialist, grabbed a random shoulder specialist, that to some degree, that would be a, a really complex mix because of the, mm-hmm. um, the, the center of their bolts that ends up being that joint. Whereas the three of you, I can see that being such a, such a good match. So please do, mm-hmm. uh, please do get hold of that. Because do you think that there'll be, a, I suppose one, one of the awkward questions, that's almost a bit of a marketing question, I'm afraid, Debs, is do you think there will be an appropriate hunger for that from hand therapists or are they going to be squeamish to it? Oh, we were massively oversubscribed, massively. Oh, really? I mean, oh, brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Good. I mean, we Good. we had we were we were literally six, eight weeks off doing the course. Oh, uh, okay. You know, everything was absolutely sorted. The University of Essex, because I live down that way, had they've got a fantastic new um, physio MSK building there that they're doing all their um, MSCs training in, and they basically offered us room for free as long as their hand therapist that does the course got to come on the course um because right. she's an ot by trade um yeah we were hugely oversubscribed you know we were thinking Super. about what type of gin and tonic we were going to have at supper i mean that was it and um yeah it all went 
you know, down Watsits Creek without a paddle. Absolutely. And uh, amusingly, yeah. that's another thing you guys have got in common that would suggest compatibility as well. As you, you've got a tipple, a tipple in common as well. Well, please, uh, please have it known that obviously I want you to, to do that regardless of where it is, but also if we can do that up here as well, let's get you guys mm-hmm. together because I want to share a drink with you all as well. Um, hopefully mm-hmm. not when I've been streaming for 24 hours, but, but generally another time that'd be, Might that'd be, be more awesome. entertaining. <laughs> maybe yeah I think I think it would affect me fairly quickly wouldn't it what's the what let's um there's, there's certain conditions that people are a bit confused by that I feel that you'd probably be able to give us a, a some quick and dirty tips in in a couple of minutes if we can carpal tunnel being one if you don't mind mm-hmm. Debs where are we up to with that how interventional should we be because I think it's one of them whereby I'm always conscious that you leave it too long, you, you, you could have made a mistake, but equally if you intervene too soon, you've not really tried anything. Like, where are we up mm. to with it in time for us? Mm. Well, Anina Schmidt did a, a, has done a couple of fantastic papers about that that exact thing. The you know, at what point do you say, actually, do you know what? They have reached that threshold and we shouldn't keep trying this and that, we should send them off. And she uses that very, that really simple test of uh, keep a coin in your pocket, which is what we do in clinic, and keep one on a cold windowsill. As soon as they can't differentiate, send them off, basically. Because at that point, the, small, the, the, uh, the damage to the small fibres is getting such that you might not get recovery. Now, you might right. find local hand surgeons who think, oh, that's a bit early, but, but that's what the science tells us, that that's, that's mm. where they should be. I think in terms mm. of clinical practice, the most common mistake people make is to not check whether they get so people are very good at doing a phalans and they're very good at doing a tunnel and all of that kind of stuff and they'll do two-point discrimination and light touch and all those things they're not very good at doing the the test for the lumbar call so you know that's a literally you just make a fist and if that brings on the symptoms there's a good chance that it's the lumbar calls being pulled down into the carpal tunnel uh, having an effect on that disease process not just the lumbar calls but they will be having an effect so when they do their night splinting, they should be splinted not just in a normal futura, but with one that limits MCP flexion. Right. So really simple tip. Okay. So things like your hairdressers who spend all day doing that, working their lumbar yeah. cords and get carpal tunnel, nearly, yeah. nearly always they're positive if you do that. So okay. when you split gotcha. them at night, you keep their MCP and a little bit of it, you know, will stop it coming into extension, inflection, sorry and um, stop those lumbar cords coming down into the carpal tunnel, plus right. all your tendon gliding and stuff. And then doing the tendon gliding, just make sure that people have got really good differential glide. So if you do that, you have maximum differential glide between your FDS and FDP in the tunnel. And when you do that, you're getting pure FDS moving down, right. pulling your FDP, FDS, FDP. So you're getting all that movement, and that's all about that, you know, getting nutrition to the um the nerve etc cetera, etc cetera. um yeah when do you it does indeed yeah absolutely that's exactly what i hoped for i, I wonder does um when when you've got the dispute that you were describing where some people feel that that's a little bit premature um that's where often you end up with a real compromised pathway because because physios get a name for being too trigger happy on a referral and that can sometimes sort of corrupt best practice is that something that we need to start being stronger and more direct on 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 explaining and justifying those sorts of decisions because if they start to bounce back and more time passes it's one of them sort of inevitable things that they end up having mm-hmm. longer term dysfunction and and sometimes that's that's not necessarily the surgeon's fault or the physio's fault that might be the local ccg you know, thresholds might be something right. that is really difficult for us to do. But, you know, if I have a, a GP, for instance, that's, oh, I don't really want to do it, I just send them the link, send them the link to the research. You know, they can't argue with it. Well, and, and, and what that'll do, at best, they, they read it and learn from it. But usually what it'll mean is they'll go, oh, shit, we've got a, we've got a reader here. I can't be arsed with that. I'll refer, <laughs> I'll refer it on. I'll refer it on because I don't fancy the clash. So it's a win-win. Yeah. So I, I agree yeah. with you there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, because waiting lists are so long now, I think that most, most, I say most carpal tunnel surgery clinics or orthopedic departments 
will accept them because by the time they get to do them, <laughs> they're going to be that far down the line anyway. That's but if you look true. at the Anina Schmidt work, if they're really regularly doing their exact protocols, then, you know, the big study they did in Australia, something like, I can't remember the exact figures, so don't quote me on it, anybody that might be listening, but about 30% of people on the waiting list took themselves off the waiting list just from doing their exercises regularly. Yeah, so, you yeah. know, it, and it's easy, it's quick, you know, it, it takes them a minute max to do their exercises yeah. a couple of times a day. Quick fix. Sure. Tell them it's like brushing their teeth. You know, they do Absolutely. it after they've brought their teeth, you know. And it's one of the things that's misleading sometimes where people like the, the sometimes the sort of noisiest patients win for attention. And it's like where sometimes it's that the ones that are most painful can be distracting from the fact that sometimes the it's those sort of ones that aren't that sore, but they're starting to lose sensor, sensation mm. and, and start to get motor changes and mm. come in with, with wasted. Well, it didn't really hurt and stuff. So that's mm. a bit more of public awareness type stuff that we need to get out there as well, isn't it? And, and I think in terms of physios, what what it might be a bit more interesting for them to realize is obviously your median nerve mainly supplies your um your lumbricals think of it as mm. your lumbricals rather than your thena just your thena remnants mm. and um next to your tongue your lumbricals have the most goggy tendons for proprioception in your body right so if you lose it's not just the sensation you'll be losing it's that dexterity so if you have any kind of occupational job or hobby or craft or whatever it is that makes you happy that requires that fine dexterity you're going to be losing that quickly yeah yeah i mean i, I did not have a clue on that but then similarly i it always remembers when you say something like that i remember the, the sensory homunculus and it's just yep. that, that, you, that that is where unfortunately the hands can sometimes be underestimated when they obviously are such an important sensory organ for want of a better term we're out of time Debs I could chat about this forever with you and well done you, you get yourself that large GNT. you've certainly earned it putting up with me for half an hour thanks for all the work yeah. you've done over the years it's that's been my pleasure fantastic. and I'm sorry about my connection problems at the beginning uh, no I think I, I don't think you'll be the, the last and and that's okay it's understandable normally on a show like this ideally we'd we'd do all the sound checks not live wouldn't yeah, we so yeah, um, no, no, don't worry about it I'm glad I'm glad we got it um, sorted can I just have one quick plug Plug, it's the triennial um, conference in London in June of the International Federation of uh, Hand Surgeons, International Federation of Hand Therapists and the European Federation of um, Hand Surgeons and Hand Therapists. It's a huge conference going on, uh, on in June and the um, president of the um, uh, International Federation of Hand Surgeons of Hand Therapists is a uh, uh, an amazing British hand therapist at the moment called, um, oh my God, I'm having a senior moment. Oh, no. <laughs> You've oh, built no. it up now. I'm on no, tenterhooks, Debs. No, Who is it? No. Who is it? You've oh, got to come up with the name. Nicola Goldsmith. Nicola Goldsmith. <laughs> <laughs> that could have been Brilliant. a disaster. Um, no, that was, and... that was good for suspense. <laughs> I'm so sorry. But, you know, anyone that's even remotely interested, look at the programme, ha have a look. It's a, a yeah. fabulous conference. Well, make sure what you do is you get, as soon as you're off this, post the link into the chat if you can, or send it over to Jim and we'll get that promoted if you can. Just get the URL because we obviously want to know more about that. That sounds brilliant. But we, what, what I think is useful. Post it into the chat. Oh yeah, okay. I've gone beyond <laughs> you for, for technology, right? Yeah. Send send a pigeon to Jim with a little note okay. on it that writes what okay. you're on about. No, I think, I think okay. we definitely want to, um, we want to promote that. And I think, I think if we, if we can, Whilst the world opens back up, we as Physio Matters would love to be at more things like that as well, right? We, we could broadcast from them and stuff. So especially if you've got any contacts mm. into the organisational mm. committee that wants to promote that sort of stuff, mm. then we could probably shine mm. a light on it and get, get on the ground, which would be cool as well, Deb. So uh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely happy to support it in, in any way we can. Thank you. No bother. Thanks a lot for your time. And really thank you very, it. very much for inviting me. Oh, no bother. No, it's been a pleasure. Take care. All the best. Okay, then. Bye. rum no it's uh it's coffee and that uh, that illustrated perfectly how well you need uh, uh sort of how you need a well-functioning elbow to actually be able to feed yourself which draws oh, nice. the elbow. 
Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I wouldn't get far with this can, would I? So yeah, good, good, good. I wondered, just thought it's been it's been several minutes and Val hasn't mentioned the elbow, so I was worried. I, I wondered if you were feeling okay, but yeah, you've got it in there. Well done. I'm fine. Don't worry. Super. Don't worry. Super. So you see, it's really important to be able to survive to have a well-functioning elbow. Much more important than the shoulder. So you can have oh, this yeah, conversation with Joe Gibson later. Because, you know, if you've yeah, got a couple absolutely. of dodgy shoulders, you can still feed yourself. But if you've got fused or sort of flail elbows bilaterally, you'll die. So the elbow is far <laughs> more important than the shoulder ever is. I remember that was such a, when you were on Physio Matters, that was such a dramatic point. It was so abrupt as well. It was like, you wait, you may die. It was like, love it. It's, uh, it's, it's very much like, the, it's like your version of clickbait, isn't it? It's like, it's like scaring with. Scare them with death. Absolutely, absolutely. You've got to scare people, I think. <laughs> so, yeah, that, the poor little elbow joint, he is forgotten, isn't he? It's, it's, it's mm. underrated, overlooked, yeah. But less so, less so since you since you've rose to the fore, though, Val. I think that that's something that has... I mean, I'm not saying it's, uh, it's, it, it's completely caught up with everything. It's still some people do, do hate it. Uh, but... Generally speaking, I think that the, you've uh, you've certainly made it sexier than it was in these last few years, yeah, for sure. I, yeah, I think it's probably about as sexy as a tuby grip in the rankings now. Um, so, <laughs> so, I mean, I saw something on Twitter just the other day, and it just made my heart sink a bit. Somebody said, well, if it's not golfer's elbow or tennis elbow, what else could it be in the elbow? So it was like, <laughs> oh! <laughs> Oh, but the thing is, I mean, this is where you're going to get mad at me because I, I can't help but think if it present, I'd rather it be one of them two. Is that is that <laughs> is that a bad thing, or would you ad, would you admit that? Like, if someone presented to you with an elbow, are you just like wanting anything but that, or do you still? Uh, so I think uh, there are lots more things, and I think FCPs out there they don't know enough about what are the red flaggy sort of things okay. to have a look at. And and sure. sort of really sort of point you in the right direction. You know, you don't want well, to let's hit, hit, let's go there. Let's go there first. Then that's a good yeah. shout. Like what? Because because uh, um, I won't. I don't want to make too many assumptions, especially in my sort of sleep deprived state, as to whether or not <laughs> I know any of those sorts of flaggy things. So I'll be furiously making notes. Let's give us some sort of key clues, lookouts, and signs then yeah. on that sort okay. of triage safety level. Then, if we can, that I think so. So, first of all, bruising. If you get bruising around the elbow, buyer beware almost, because bruising signifies right. if it's medial bruising, then they may have had a medial ligament injury that nobody's picked up on. They may have even had a dislocation that nobody's picked up on because the medial ligament tears with those dislocations. If it's anterior bruising and the complaint of something going, it might be a distal biceps rupture. Now, a distal biceps rupture is something that we need to see within two weeks and have it operated on with two weeks to get best success. So that's a real red flag. You don't want to miss that and sort of keep it in with you in the physio or in GP practices. It needs to go straight up to A&E with a covering letter to say that they've got a distal biceps rupture. And there are a couple of really easy tests you can do. They'll complain of, it's usually males, I'm afraid, between the ages of 40 and 60 seven times more likely in smokers and the incidence of distal biceps tears is just going up through the roof because of gyms but also things like steroids are increasingly available so they'll feel something go and then they'll end up with bruising they might have a deformity but they may not but there are quick tests you can do just look at the bicep strength and the big one for that is look at supination resisted power because that'll be markedly reduced and you can do the hook test the hook test is dead easy jack just put your hand in front of your face like that put your other hip finger sort of over the distal biceps tendon, you should feel a real firm like cord and you compare one to the other. Can you feel it? You should be able to have yeah. a meat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got, yeah. I, mean, I can just about get my fingers on. Obviously my biceps are massive, so it's quite well, obviously, difficult. Obviously, I did notice you're straining your top there. So, it's, <laughs> so I did notice that. So that's a really quick one, an easy one. Get one of them, send them straight up to A&E. But bruising right. laterally as well of the torn lateral ligament complex. So for me, bruising around the elbow is a significant sort of indicator that some serious trauma has gone on. So you just need to be think does, does, does that sometimes, if the, if the tissue characteristics aren't, aren't great, or sorry, tissue profile's not great, or, yeah. or in elderly and stuff, is it sometimes that that can occur without trauma or without incident? Or are we talking about that there's been some sort of injury, that there's noticeable incident? And you'll see it it'll be big bruising you know it's certainly with, with okay. medial ligament injuries you'll have this big patch and a lot of people think so 
radial head fractures are treated by most people in fracture clinics up and down the country and everybody thinks yay um so oh i'm just to put the iron down to do the hook test and nearly burnt the hubby shirt you don't want to do that do you i'm just seeing some of the remarks <laughs> jesus we're coming to a disclaimer safety first please people jesus i know we, do a lo- we love the participation on these shows and stuff and that's great but karen please safety first <laughs> Well, I'm glad she did put the iron on. Couldn't you imagine if she'd held the iron in front of him whilst doing the hook test? That could have been nasty. It could have stuck to his face or anything. That could have been So, yeah. So, and then medial bruising, radial head fractures I was talking about, wasn't I, before I got off track? Radial head fractures. Everybody yes. thinks they're easy and you'll see them in fracture clinic and they said, yeah, go and move them, move it straight away. But well, a lot of the time, especially when with telephone calls or whatever, or virtual fracture clinics, they haven't looked the whole ray around the elbow and they missed the medial bruising, which may have signified that the patient's had a fracture dislocation and therefore you've got mm. to go slower. You don't want them to extend fully because they may re-dislocate. Lots of patients don't even know they've dislocated because they've relocated straight away and it can happen from a fall onto an outstretched hand. So you've just got to be careful, sure. really. Yeah. Yeah, because that's one that... That's one that's definitely that's definitely one that uh, that gives me reminds me of your your podcast and, and, and therapy live talks as well on this is why that that's a, that's a classic one and, and I fear that it's one of them where I felt like I wish I had a better memory because I'm like oh I bet there's a patient there that I sort of <laughs> half remember that I feel like I want to ring and apologise to from years gone by. Are there any are there any other sort of you know, less common weird and wonderful lumps and bumps or 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 serious sort of pathologies that can present at the at the elbow more insidiously? Yeah, I think the thing that you don't want to miss if you're sort of out there as first contract pr- practitioner or if you're out there in private practice, adolescent comes in with elbow pain and they're a sporty adolescent, maybe sort of, sort of from sort of 12, 13 onwards up until the 20s. So if you've got somebody who's a gymnast, racket sport player, swimmer, until proved otherwise, anybody who presents with elbow pain is an osteochondral defect because you need to pick up these osteochondral defects fast. They're not picked up by x-ray in the vast majority of things uh, going on. So they need sent into an elbow specialist for onward investigation, maybe CT scans. Because the earlier you can pick that athlete up and make them rest, the better chance you've had of them going back to sort of high level elite sports. If you leave it until they've got a loose body within the elbow, there's a huge chance they'll never return to sort of professional sport again. So it's until proved otherwise, adolescence, elbow pain in athletes, osteochondral defect. Get them on up to see your friendly sort of orthopedic surgeon for further investigation. Don't mess about. So they might complain of diffuse pain, might complain of locking rather, clicking, etc. But yeah, send them on. Don't keep hold of them. So that'll be another yeah. one, one of my key things. Yeah, for sure. No, that's interesting, definitely. Um, would you say that in that instance, obviously because of differences in, in sort of local pathways, et cetera, say in private practice, if I was to assess, if I was to assess that, uh, getting them in front of even a, a surgeon privately, but for in fracture clinic, which is maybe a bit of a, if I could, if I could wangle an angle there, but, or should I get it MR'd? Because that is something I could organise next day. Yeah, if you could if you could and just try and try and rule it in rule it out so but you, i was just thinking to try and work it up that bit further so i could yeah, try and motivate yeah. compliance because sometimes when we privately reach into the system it, it rejects us costs obviously there's a bit of a turf war ever ongoing sometimes yeah. with that not with us personally yeah. by the way but i just mean sometimes it's clumsy similarly into private office at the moment it's as, yeah. as busy as ever no, so i was I, just thinking like get, get something done as a bit of a workup definitely absolutely definitely so yeah so that's another thing you can sort of have a look at out there from an fcp point of view if you think Mm. you have somebody got a fracture or a dislocation or they can't come and see you i think it's the apple bone paper where if you can extend your elbow fully after a trauma and then you can think that there's less than a five to ten percent chance of them having a fracture so elbow extension can they actively do it if not always beware after a history of trauma you know they may have a, a significant chance of a fracture or a dislocation to look at elbow extension mm. so it's just little things like that yeah for sure and so when it comes to when it comes to then getting them better oh, um, yeah. obviously it's uh, it's 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 going to be pretty dependent on on what it is that we we find diagnostically and stuff but if we try and if i if i sort of uh, force the issue on thinking just in prevalence what sort of uh, i don't know it's a bit of a category error mistake i'm making here because they often blur into each other but 
when it comes to most common pathologies, like what, yeah. what you can, can you try and set me down the list as, as best possible? I think obviously your, your, your lateral sort of tendinopathy, so your tennis elbow, but lateral extensor tendinopathy is actually a biggie, isn't it, that most of us see. Um, but there are, there's plenty of trauma out there that sort of comes in seconds, your fractures or your dislocations. Um, so you put then, that over your medial tendinopathies then? Oh, yeah. Really, um, you, yeah. Golf is, is about seven times less prevalent than, than tennis. Really? Find, yeah, okay. so golfers, I find, and I find it much it's more gnarly to treat because often the ulnar nerve's wrapped up in with that one as well. So sure. I always look for ulnar nerve. Um, so, yeah, so I put the trauma next. And the, but the important thing about trauma, everybody thinks, oh, it depends on your fracture pattern, it depends on this, that and the other, how the patient goes, or, sort of comes out at the end of it all. There's a lovely paper written by a guy called Jayakuma in a couple of years ago, and it's one of the best papers I've read in a long time. And he looked at patients, over 200 patients with distal humeral fractures, some fixed internally, some fixed sort of managed conservatively. And it was fear avoidance beliefs and self-efficacy beliefs at two weeks that dictated outcome after a distal humeral fracture. So it's far more with these patients about what we say rather than what we do. So it's getting them on board. Uh, uh, right. So, well, so Val, yeah. just you're going to have to help me on this because this is this is like a a toughie. We hear a lot from our audience. Right. We we do not want to be inducing fear avoidant behaviors but we also don't want to be cavalier especially around fractures and traumas even more generally even if soft tissues gives you gives you top tips on 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 finding that sweet spot because we kind of all we we all i think in in a in in contemporary msk practice we are erring towards the early mobilization room stuff like that i think the instincts are good but then similarly i feel it myself and we hear a lot from our audience that say that's all well and good but i'm mortified if i if i've if i've mobilized something that should be stabilized or 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 i've I've suggested something that they've overdone it with and stuff and so that that atmosphere sometimes does mean that people are on the side of caution so do you have any sort of sweet spots top tips for how we can do that I think, first of all, say something like an elbow dislocation, we work them in what we call the safe zone. So we know that they're not going to re-dislocate if they're in flexion. So we'll give them a collar and cuff. And we know that immediate motion from other trials actually produces a better outcome rather than delayed motion. So don't be frightened to move, but just say move them from 90 degrees through to full flexion. So get them sort of putting the mascara on, get them using their hand, mobile phone, texting, get them eating stuff. Just get them using it, but in a very small protected range. If it's a fracture, obviously, you need to talk with your surgeons about how sort of stable that fracture is. But again, get them moving in the confines of a sling. And we know that if you immobilize an elbow for more than three weeks, you're on a sticky wicket anyway. The elbow hates being kept still. So it is important to get that elbow moving. Other things you can do, you can put them in the overhead position, which is where they lie flat on the back with their arm up in the air, because that is the position where you get most movement because you kind of, your biceps calms itself down, but also it's the position where you get most stability because the compressive forces of gravity act. And so it's like a win-win situation, more movement, more stability. Put the patient in a tubey grip. You're giving that elbow a love and a hug, which is all it's ever wanted and all it's ever asked for, because by just applying that tubey grip or putting your hands over the joint and getting the patient to move with you, the patient gets lots of cutaneous input because the elbow is really poorly innovated in terms of joint proprioceptors. It gets most of its input from cutaneous ones. So just by putting a tuber grip on, people feel more comfortable, more safe. And then you can start moving them in, in sort of a very limited range, a safe zone. If you're not sure what that safe zone should be, just have a word with the treating sort of fracture clinic surgeon about what range of movement they want them to go through. And then you can get the other arm moving as well, because it's all about maintaining cortical representation as well. So we do lots of what we call cross education. We work the other side really hard in terms of elbow flexors, yeah. extensors, pro and supinators. And that maintains muscle cross-sectional area on the affected side, but also maintains sort of cortical representation as well. And we play games. Is there a case, oh, sorry, Phil, is there a case with, with regards to the logic that you applied for the, the tubi grip? Is there, a, is there a case for, for, for flexible, say, K-tapes in that yeah. similar logic? And then, and then if, it, if, it was, if it was something that had either an instability or, a, or, a, or an underconfidence that was a bit more profound, would we reach for some of the rigid tapes and, and, and potentially look to that or not? 
I don't think it, there's no evidence to prove one to be better than the other. And all we're doing is putting a bit of cutaneous input through there just to let the elbow yeah. know where it is in space. So I don't think it matters. I mean, Joy McDermott looked at things like, you know, looking at sleeves and sort of the um, the clasps. And it didn't make any difference. It's just about putting something there. Something that's, something yeah. that's going to have contact on it. Yeah. yeah. No, and and also it's stuff. about dynamically moving. By doing gripping activities, you're going to get your, your forearm flexors, your forearm extensors working. And there, your medial and lateral stabilizers of the elbow. Course, so active movement, active movement. It's absolutely key. So the elbow, it isn't a horrible joint. It isn't the joint that everybody should dread. It's just a joint that is it's much maligned and misunderstood. And if you it's love it, it love you back. <laughs> <laughs> what about, wait, what about, because I think one of the things that, uh, that it gets neglected on is weight bearing. I think the upper limb more generally compared to, you know, it's like, Closed chain lower limb and open chain gets neglected and then vice versa, I'd say, at the, yeah. at the, at the upper limb. Um, what, so do, do you, I mean, obviously, again, it, it varies and it depends, but um, any sort of, um, I think as well, if you are going to bear weight through it, it's like everyone's doing it in, in full extension rather than like taking it through a, a, a bit yeah. of a, a lower range and stuff. So do, do you advocate for sort of crawls and, and up and down, oh, high plank, low plank? Sure. Or right, yeah, very, very early. Um, I mean, if you're like over 50 like me, elbows are essential because you have to wait there to get up off the floor because your legs aren't strong enough to push up <laughs> anymore. The older you are, the more reliant you're going to become on your elbows for weight bearing. So it's gotcha. super important. So even the elderly patients, you know, you've got to get them up off the floor and you'll do functional things like and that. The gin, that and the, the gin, and, gin and tonic flexions as well, Absolutely, like you say. Absolutely, but weight bearing is super important. So, yeah. yeah so okay. we'll do all no, plenty sorts of things. That. Plenty of that. I've just remembered as well, Deb Stanton on like yesterday she was an early early one yeah. and um and she was saying about how just before covid you her and joe were gonna uh, put something together and stuff and so yeah. i i just think that sounds like such a great match so uh please do uh reinitiate re that i want to encourage each of you individually to like get 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 that trip get that trio of superheroes together absolutely so can no you worries. can you can you give me give me a bit of a quick lowdown if you don't mind on some of the so, sort of nerve-related issues in and around there. You did mention before about the fact that the ulnar nerve can get caught up in some of the medial elbow yeah. stuff. But also, I mean, like cubital tunnel, that sort of stuff, because that sometimes yeah. get can muddy the picture a little bit, can't it? Yeah, so I think you've just got to, you know, patients come in and sort of, if it's me, I'm sorry, I'm laughing at you. <laughs> so ulnar nerve, really common. I mean, 10 to 15% of the population are born with a mobile ulnar nerve. So it flicks in and out of that ulnar groove and then gets irritated by the medial epicondyle. So always feel, so when patients are flexing and extending, just put your fingers over the back of the elbow and just feel as the ulnar nerve moving in or out of that groove. And lots of people aren't even aware that it happens to them. If that happens, it's just maybe irritated. And if it causes enough of a problem, then the surgeons can actually transpose it. So they just reroute it sort of around the front of the elbow and they put it in fascial, sling, fascial slings. Um, but if you've got somebody with an ulnar nerve pathology, they might complain of sort of obviously the paresthesia in the fourth and fifth digit. They might get weakness in the hand, wasting in the first dorsal interosseous space. So always make sure you look at the hand and sort of have a look in here um, and check the interossei out. And then what we tend to do is that our patients go off for nerve conductions, EMGs, but obviously Anina's bits work. Uh, sort of with, that only looks for your large diameter fibers so we'll look at thermal testing as well and sort of pinprick testing for, look, for looking for the smaller diameter fiber involvement and if that's positive then even if they've got nothing back on the nerve conduction test but they fit our clinical picture of sort of ulnar nerve entrapment they may well have a release even if the nerve conduction studies come back as normal just because the small diameter testing is positive so that's kind of two changed our practice quite a lot from reading her stuff um so ulnar nerve is often tied up with things like medial ligaments so you see it in throwers so often the forces generated by the throwing action are stronger than the forces that the medial ligament can cope with and they'll end up with medial pain, but ulnar nerve can be quite often sort of seen with that as well. So you can see it in throwers. Are you all right there, Jack? It looks like you're going to faint. That is horrendous. 
Oh my god, I've taken it out now. It's gonna be sick. I ate them all, I chewed them all for that duration of that answer, which was a great answer. I'm gonna have to watch it back because I actually do what you know, people forget I do actually want to learn from our guests, including you today. But that was just couldn't concentrate. That was just my eyes are watering. You look as if you're dying. I thought my head was gonna explode. That was unbelievable. Like, well, you're not they're not designed to be eating them all at once, I imagine, packets of airwaves. That was brutal. Oh, it's a great answer. Sorry, did so, I interrupt? No, that was absolutely fine. So just be aware if your nerve conduction studies come back as negative, it doesn't mean there's nothing wrong with the patient. It's just meaning that it's you haven't found the bitch yet. So, yeah, so just be aware of yeah. that. Yeah, how, as soon as someone's presenting with, um, I, mean, I guess that's what's one of the things that's a bit difficult, isn't it? Because it can be, as soon as, soon as someone's got, let's say, as soon as someone's got distal neurological symptoms let's say even it would be that be that subtle can you just how how full is a full neuro for for, for you in that regard like how, how just how how many how many tests how many differentiations are you, are you doing in that instance so i'll look at sort of the so first of all it's trying to differentiate because some of these neck ones are a devil as well and how do you differentiate like ulnar nerve from c8 gotcha e1 yeah. radiculopathy so that can be a bit different difficult but you can, there's a, so it's supposed to be low, but I remember OLAF. So things like opponents and and sort yeah. of the lateral lumbricals are, are innovated by the median nerve side of the hand. So if you've got weakness in those, it'd make me think, even if you've got paresthesia in the fourth and fifth digit, yeah, that's more C8T1 radiculopathy. Whereas more sort of, you know, if it was all the nerve, it, those OLAF muscles wouldn't be in, innovated. So I remember yeah. OLAF from Frozen. That's the way I go yeah. with that one. Um, and it's Especially the when they've got a cold does. hand. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so, but I will do those thermal detection things like with the, the coin in your pocket and the coin at room temperature and pinpricks as well, sharp, blunt. Yeah. So we, we do yeah. all of those with patients that come in with sort of neurological changes. Um, and yeah. and uh, look for those small weaknesses so you know if you've got somebody uh, just think as uh, can they put the two little fingers together and push are they able to use the interossei and abductor digiti minimi you know is one winning the battle over the other and just small little okay. tests that you pick up over a period okay. of time yeah okay yeah i mean deb's had mentioned that mentioned the the, the coin test yeah and um and, and and certainly that went down well at the at the time i think um it's it's tricky to know i will admit whether or not this is a bit dated or whether it's a phenomena because it at one point was suggested to be like everywhere which was sort of double crush phenomena that you get away with one interface being irritated yeah. but not two and yeah. one of them felt like it's a sort of unfalsifiable difficult to falsify palpation was given a lot of precedent at that point like what where, where's where are you at with that is that old school terminology we need to move past or is there a there, I, I, tend there? Not, I tend not to use it yeah there are lots of things, obviously, and palpation is it, you know, what are we feeling when we palpate? How reliable is palpation? Mm. And a lot of the stuff we see, I mean, the elbow, especially things like your lateral elbow tendinopathy, a lot of the work on central sensitization in tendinopathies is being done on the elbow. Like when you look at yeah. the placenta review and in patients, mm. we do see it. We change, we get changes in thermal detection. We get cha changes in pressure, sort of pressure hyperalgesia is seen in a lot of tennis elbow patients. So, how reliable is it, you know, what we're actually palpating anyway? So, and that's something mm. I look for when I when I see my tennis elbow patients. If they've got sort of temporal summation, which, you know, repeated stimuli causes increasing pain or thermal hyperalgesia or pressure hyperalgesia, those for me are patients that I'll move away from sort of, you, you keep your hands off them almost because if they've got temporal summation and you're there doing manual therapy <laughs> or taping, it's going to make them worse. Yeah. So get yeah. them generally mm -hmm. exercising, look at sort of aerobic type, full body exercise, etc. So I'll yeah. use that as part of the screening process, looking for central sensitization when they present with elbow problems and elbow tendinopathy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, that, that's the thing is that, that that really high flinch response sort of hyperalgesia type things and stuff. And, and, and I can, yeah, the, the, the trying to recognize those features and be more thoughtful about integrating sort of central nervous as well as then peripheral nervous features that can that can not necessarily be either or, you know, they can coexist. You've got a tendinopathy, it's not that you've got to ignore that completely, but there's something more there that when it when it's when it's super, super sensitive and stuff. Yeah. And 
yeah, often. They've often some some buggers done some frictions on them at some point, haven't they? It's always really like imagine the, how savage that is. Like it's one of the most cruel things, and you've got like an allergenic well, show. Oh, I reckon so that patients that. used to say that they were better with frictions because they didn't want you to do it again because it hurt so much. <laughs> so they used to yeah. say they were better. It wasn't that they actually yeah. got better, it's just that Jesus yeah. don't do that to me again. Why yeah. poke a sleeping bear, eh? Why keep oh, sticking no. a stick at it and irritating it? So yeah, keep your fingers yeah. off those flipping tendons. I remember I was on play, I was on placement, uh, MSK placement, and uh, and they said, and uh, you know, here's your, it was it, here's, here's your, here's your hand table, and here's your pillow. I said, what well, do I need a, a pillow for? So I know it was two pillows on it. Well, one one for their elbow to rest on while you're doing it, and one for them to bite down on. And I was just like, what are you teaching me here? Like it was just like a. Not long after that, I kind of learned that, you know, and that, it was horrible. And you, you really did that. Like, you're, you're just sort of psyching the patient up saying, well, it's cool to be kind and, you know, don't no, worry, we're just not. breaking down these adhesions. And they're like, ah! Yeah. And oh, even with horrible. fractures, I, I saw colleagues of mine that patients used to come out of fracture clinic and they used to be crying. And it, one of the big things now, we know substance P is a big driver for causing sort of fibrosis in the, in the elbow yeah. joint capsule. So it's always under patient control. You make it as sort of, non-noxious as possible you get them doing sort of we play games we sort of do right left differentiation you make it as an enjoyable experience as possible for the patient to actually do the rehab <laughs> that's a good example of like a massive step change isn't it what used yeah. to be sort of deep end range mobilizations yeah. that yeah. make their eyes water is now poking a balloon <laughs> it's like we do. A, you've got to get I the know, balloon it's, a, it's good i'm not i'm not mocking the balloon i'm just laughing at how it's like chalk and cheese isn't it like that's a real the, a, a pendulum has swung there for the positive for sure val it's it's been an experience I, i'm crying you know it's been emotional um that is mainly the Don't menthol you're crying from course, those flipping airwaves yeah i know it's unbelievable um but yeah thanks so much for dropping by and thanks for all you've done for physio matters over the years it's been it's been such a such a joy to be able to promote your work and 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 uh and for you to so as I said, make the elbow sexy again. I don't think it's again. I don't think it ever has been. But it's you're definitely on a mission. It's all, we're on a mission. Unwrap, we're slowly undressing it, so it appears more sexy okay. to the nation. Yeah. Okay, I get it. I get it. Yeah, slow, slow and sultry undressing of the elbow. <laughs> this is getting ever weirder. So I'm gonna get. I'm gonna kick you off. Uh, thanks right. as ever, though, mate. Really appreciate it. And, uh, look forward to a drink soon. All right. See you. Cheers, bye. Bye. -bye. bye.